So, Ben, you formed the Ukraine Coalition. Uh, can you tell us more about what you've been doing ever since uh, the war began? Sure. So, Paul, it was February 24th when Russia invaded Ukraine. And my immediate reaction when I woke up and saw the horrible news was we've got 150 people at Everest that live in or around Kyiv, and we've got to make sure these people are safe. And so, uh, my first move was to reach out to our, our team and our, our friends and our, our partners at Everest, and of course, Jake and, and Phil and, and, and the gang over there, whom you know, uh, yeah. and, and uh, coordinate what, what could we do to help. And it uh, turns out that there's a fantastic organization called Project Dynamo that my friend Brad Cohen co-founded. Uh, he started it really to help evacuate Americans from Afghanistan last year, um, and Brad quickly moved to set up operations in Ukraine and help evacuate people there. And so uh, started working with Project Dynamo to either evacuate or relocate uh, people to get them out of harm's way, whether that was out of the country uh, or west to Lviv or otherwise. Um, and then, and of course, there was a flurry of activity over that those first couple of, of horrifying days uh, after uh, after Putin began this war. Uh, then the second question is, okay, uh, what can we do to help on a more sustainable basis? And you and I are in the logistics world, and logistics has a lot to offer uh, when it comes to humanitarian relief. And so my initial thought was, uh, let's ask the people on the ground what they need. And it was clear that uh, there's a huge need for food, medical supplies, uh, basic needs, pharmaceutical uh, supplies, um, you know, the ability to support field hospitals that are getting set up to help with just basic things like tourniquets and stretchers and painkillers and, and much, much more. And so um, started figuring out how could we get more of those supplies in and realized that while there are some great on the ground organizations like JDC and others that are operating there, uh, there was nobody that was focused on the supply chain uh, construction to, to get more in. So we set up the Ukraine Logistics Coalition to solve that problem, a nonprofit uh, in the process of finalizing the 501c3 status now. But in the meantime, just started rolling up our sleeves and doing the work. And that meant, number one, talking to people on the ground to, to determine what they needed. Uh, number two, finding suppliers, whether medical, food, or other supplies to bring equipment in. And then number three, transportation companies that would donate the trucking, air, warehousing, and other capabilities in order to get the supplies in. And so that's really what over the last three or so months, uh, I guess four months now, uh, a, a group of us as volunteers have been doing. So we've raised money. Uh, we have raised or donated over $22 million in medical supplies to bring those supplies in. It's not enough. It's a fraction of what's needed, um, but it's a start. Uh, and now the question is really, how can we scale up and do more? So that's what we're doing. It's, it's fascinating. And it's uh, it's amazing that you've been able to do so much. It's been a powerful impact. Uh, it has a, a powerful impact. I'm wondering, uh, Ben, if you could tell us about the companies that you work with logistically in America that help you. Uh, what does it look like? Because uh, I did I did talk to, to Brian uh, from Seco Logistics, uh, Chief Growth Officer. And he he was telling me about some of the logistics side. I was wondering, I'm wondering if if you have kind of uh, insights into well, where are you getting uh, the aid, and how is it being shipped, and what are like 
I guess the costs of, of it. Where is it going through? Is it going through Poland, Slovakia? Uh, if you could get us into the details behind that. Sure. So we are working with Brian and Seiko and uh, a variety of other organizations. If you go to logisticscoalition.org and click on About Us, you'll see uh, there are about 20 or so groups that are listed that uh, are working with us to, to help. Uh, and many more that are in, in process as well, including Delta Cargo, Uber, um, Bolove, American Logistics Aid Network, uh, and, and, and more, and of course, Everest too. Um, fundamentally, the most common pattern is getting freight that originates somewhere in the U.S., could be from anywhere, but of course, we know more people in the U.S., um, typically getting it by truck to an airport, most commonly JFK flying it most commonly to Warsaw, uh, and then a truck that will then do the pickup from Warsaw and either bring it all the way into the, the end destination in Ukraine, or sometimes there's a border handoff uh, at the Poland-Ukraine uh, border. It's not the only way, but it's the most common way. So certainly you can fly things in elsewhere, to, you know, Frankfurt or Slovakia or elsewhere, uh, but I'd say 90% of the time it's followed that pattern, JFK to Warsaw and then truck uh, or two trucks for the last mile. Okay. Uh, and I'm, I'm guessing that when the war broke out and you started doing uh, the Ukrainian Logistics Coalition, it was probably a little bit chaotic. Uh, there was probably a lot of difficulties uh, in terms of handling a lot of the logistics. Like right now, is it easier or is it more difficult? Uh, how has the process looked like over the last four months? Uh, has it changed at all? So it's easier in some respects in that there are now some predictable patterns, right? So there are there, there is a network of trucking companies that we've been building. We need to expand it. Frankly, you probably have a lot more knowledge of the uh, trucking market in Poland and Ukraine than I do and would, lo would love your help in expanding that network sure. of carriers. Um, but, you know, th there's a predictable pattern of freight flows from Warsaw to Lviv, Kiev, or, or, or elsewhere. Uh, and so that helps, as you know, the lifeblood of transportation and logistics is being able to build predictable lanes, you know, out, outbound and, and return so that you know what to do. So that's helped. Um, and also, uh, I think the goodwill, the number of people that want to do something, you know, just continues to expand. The thing that's a challenge is, in the beginning, I think there is a level of uh, clear consensus around the fact that we all as human beings need to do more to help on the humanitarian basis of what's needed. And I think now that those needs and the, the frontline, the war against Ukraine is still on the front pages, but it has less urgency, I think, in the, in the mind of the public today than it did yeah. you know, February 24th. So I think maintaining that sense of the importance and urgency and the need uh, as we need more people to step up and donate goods uh, as well as donate supply chain services. I think that's a challenge. And I think that's something that's an important responsibility for us. And an example of that, it's actually less about the transportation and logistics and more about the medical sourcing. We need more companies to step up and donate vital medical supplies and medical equipment. Uh, and so I think um, if you ask me what the bottleneck was four months ago, uh, it might've been figuring out that last mile. Today, I think the bottleneck is more getting more people to donate vital medical supplies. So there's been a decrease in the amount of donations uh, since well, the beginning? The, the way I would put it is a lot of large organizations 
have said, we've got this, we're working with the UN. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. All the Ukrainian groups that I've talked to, uh, I've asked them, what experience do you have working with the UN? Nobody has said they've gotten any help or any medical supplies from the UN. So I don't know where this is actually going, uh, but but it's it, it seems not to be getting to the people in greatest need in Ukraine. And yet, if you're a large organization and somebody says, oh, we're coordinating with the UN, uh, it's almost like saying, oh, I gave it the office, therefore I don't have to do this. So, so <laughs> we, we desperately need to find a way to get more medical suppliers to donate more frontline hospital needs in particular. Sure. Uh, and I know, Ben, that you visited Kiev, right? Uh, yes. And can you tell us about your experiences uh, while you're in Ukraine? Yeah, so I was there last August and September after we invested in Everest. And you know, I have to say it was it was intense, powerful and moving. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in a lot of places in, in my life and in my career. Um, being in Ukraine, being in Kiev in particular, it reminded me of other great European cities that I visited, like London and Paris and, and others, but with a level of energy that surpassed those places. I mean, look, <laughs> I wasn't alive 200 years ago, but my guess is that the energy in London and Paris 200 years ago uh, might have been comparable. Um, because I think there's this optimism that I perceived in, in Kiev, uh, because not only was it a great city, but there was a level of growth, entrepreneurship, energy. I think there's this feeling of excitement that they were moving away from something, uh, you know, away from the oppres oppression of the Soviet Union, uh, Russia, Russian Federation, the fact that, that the Maidan revolution in 2014, that they had successfully uh, been able to get rid of the oppression of really the Russian imposed government. And so there was this energy. I mean, I, it, it reminds me in some respects, actually, of, of Israel. You know, Israel is called the startup nation uh, because of the entrepreneurial energy and drive and the yeah. fact that Israel has more startups per capita, I think, that, than anywhere other than San Francisco and, and more NASDAQ listed companies, too, than anywhere other than San Francisco. But Kiev reminded me of that, that same kind of startup nation pulse energy and, and drive. So, so it was powerful for me. And, and, and so Conversely, it was really devastating to see what happened on February 24 and what's continuing to happen now. Um, and I think it, it's very easy to sit, look, you're you're in Poland, you're you're closer to what's happening here. Uh, as I stand here, you know, in the United States at, at the moment and you know in Florida, um, it's easy to to be here and to be isolated from all of this. You know, we're not just five, six thousand miles away, but uh, but you know, it's <laughs> You know, the United States with oceans on either side, it's easy to feel like we are uh, isolated, protected, you know, distant from, you know, from all these challenges. But the reality is, uh, you know, a, an attack on freedom and democracy is an attack on all of us. Uh, and I think we have an obligation. We have a moral obligation. We have a humanitarian obligation. Uh, we have a supply chain obligation. We have an obligation across many levels to do everything that we can to help. Um, and I think Ukraine is the front lines. And I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that Ukraine today could be what Sudetenland was in 1938. The front lines that when, if, if given the opportunity for a uh, ruthless, bloodthirsty dictator to seize, 
that it proves to be the beginning and not the end. So I think we have to do everything we can to help. And I'm I'm not the Secretary of Defense, and I don't play a military role. Um, but I'm a supply chain guy, and and I have the capacity as as to you and as to the the many uh, readers and viewers of, of freight waves. Uh, we all have the capacity to do more to help, and that's that's really what I'd like to encourage everybody that's that's reading and listening to do. That's that's amazing, Ben. And uh, I know that you've been to Washington D.C. Uh, and you met with uh, political leaders. Can you tell us more about that experience? Yeah, so I had the oper- I've had a, a couple of trips to DC in the last four months. Uh, one was last month as part of a, a YPO trip of the Global Diplomacy Summit. Got to meet with Ukraine's ambassador to the US, among others. Uh, prior meetings have, have been able to meet with folks like, uh, well, US, USAID leadership, um, USAID, which is responsible for providing food relief uh, and other humanitarian relief, uh, Ukraine and, and worldwide. Um, have the opportunity to meet with uh, Senate leadership and staff, you know, for example, from, you know, Senator Rick Scott's office and and others. And I guess I would summarize it as follows. I think, one, there's broad interest in doing more to help. Uh, Two, I think people in Washington are trying to figure out what can they do? What can we do? Um, Three, uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of goodwill, but it's up to us to figure out how to translate goodwill into good actions. And so what does that what does that really mean? Well, I think, look, one is uh, and this is something that all of us can do. All of us can lobby our senators and members of Congress and ask them to do more, whether that's supporting appropriations for humanitarian purposes or defense uh, or other purposes. And the, the 40 billion dollar uh, aid package uh, that the Biden administration approved, it, it's important. But, you know, let's face it, it's, it's a drop in the bucket compared to. A, what's needed, and B, it's not just money, it's also speed, right? You could approve allocations, appropriations, but if it takes six months to deliver what's needed, you know, then 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 we failed, we've missed the mark. So uh, part of it's also just speed of, of getting out there, getting the front lines. Um, lastly, I think there's a huge need for political leadership. You know, I, I think in World War II, the Lend-Lease Act, really enabled the Roosevelt administration to harness the resources of the private sector um, because fundamentally the Lend-Lease Act was about uh, being able to provide uh, financial resources to get more supplies out to the field faster, uh, as well as to coordinate with uh, private sector companies like manufacturers of planes and tanks and, and, and other equipment. Well, I think there's a need for somebody to step up and play a similar leadership role and harness all the goodwill that exists in America in the private sector as well. And so, you know, certainly that's one of the things that I I hope the Biden administration will do. Um, But there's no reason for all of us to sit around and wait for that. We in the private sector can do much more to help uh, on our own, but we could do 10 times more if we're doing that in close coordination with leadership. Uh, I also think Operation Warp Speed is a great example where uh, the administration uh, you know, for for COVID, basically authorized private companies to do more and provided funding and coordination in order to push more resources out to accelerate the uh, the the COVID R and D that ultimately led to the vaccines that have have helped save so many lives. Uh, I would love to see the Biden administration do something similar here, and certainly that's that's a, a topic of discussion. Sure. 
Uh, and then, then I'm also wondering what, what kind of thoughts were running through your mind. Uh, you, you invested in Everest in August 2021, and then the uh, which had 150 employees in a large office uh, in Kiev, which I ran for, for three years. So uh, we have a lot of mutual connections, and uh, we know a lot of people there. What was running through your mind uh, when when this whole war broke out? Like uh, you've been you've had a powerful impact in helping a lot uh, of uh, the employees at Everest. Uh, can you tell me more? Like were were you like oh should I have not invested in Everest or like can you tell us more about the thoughts that that were running through your mind at that point in terms of your particular investment uh, in in the company? No second thoughts about investing. I think Everest is a great company. Great people, great leadership, great talent up up and down the organization. Uh, I'm proud of them. And and by the way, the business is doing great, notwithstanding everything. Uh, you know, it feels crass to say this, but you know, the business business has doubled its profits since we first signed the letter of intent to invest in the company. Um, but more importantly, you know, the metric isn't what happens in a year. The metric is what happens over the next five to 10 years. And I feel great about Phil and Jake and the uh, Lily and the, the, the many other great people uh, in, in Kiev, Chicago and, and worldwide that are that are a vital part of the Everest business. Um, I regret not having acted faster to help. Uh, I know that we all watched Putin encircle Ukraine and, and put, what, close to 200,000 troops uh, around Ukraine's border, uh, and we talked about moving forward with contingency plans and relocation plans. Uh, and I regret that I wasn't more uh, forceful in moving that along. Uh, and I regret that we didn't do more to help get people out uh, to Poland or Lviv or elsewhere sooner. Um, but look, I think they're they're great people. It's a great company, uh, and I firmly believe that over the next five to ten years. Everest has the capacity to be five to 10 times bigger um, by virtue of, of their work ethic, integrity, uh, outstanding customer service, plus the outstanding technology that the Everest team is rolling out to continue to upgrade and improve the business. And uh, I know there's been some changes in, in terms of uh, the office. I'm not sure if you if you want to talk about it. What are the plans for Everest now since uh, obviously there's war in Kiev? Uh, what what are the plans for the for the office? Well, I think it's continuing to diversify locations and, and to expand. So, I mean, I think uh, and you know, Jake and Phil certainly are best equipped to talk about the operational plans that that they're implementing. But I'll just say that uh, for us, Poland is an important part of Everest's uh, future, and certainly you you know how many uh, Ukrainians have have come to Poland in the last four months. Uh, I think you know Poland has been a a, a tremendous market. Uh, one, I think their hospitality and, and outreach and supporting the Ukrainians that are coming across the border. Two, the business-friendly climate. Uh, three, the strong transportation and logistics environment. Four, uh, the ecosystem that that is also uh, a logical place for you know American-based co- uh, companies and investors to support. So for all those reasons, look, Everest is setting up operations for an additional office in Krakow. Uh, and I believe that will be uh, a vital source of uh, not just uh, uh, talent for, for the Ukrainian team, but also new hires, new expansion for the many great people that live in and around Krakow. Uh, 
And, you know, Everest has the opportunity to add a lot of people in support of growth for the many Fortune 500 companies that Everest serves today. So I think, you know, Everest is not leaving Ukraine, but Everest will be expanding significantly in Poland, uh, adding people. Those in Ukraine that want to go to Poland will have the opportunity to go. Uh, and certainly those in Poland that could be a part of the Everest growth strategy will have an opportunity to be a part of that team as well. It's amazing what, what you've done when Everest has done in, ter in terms of helping the employees and their families uh, to get to Poland safely and to other places. And uh, so I respect that. It's it's an amazing deed. Uh, ben, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about uh, what you've been doing in Ukraine or logistics side? Well, I think I think two things. There's there's the Everest side, and then there's the humanitarian side. On the Everest side, uh, look, I think for companies that are Fortune 500 businesses wondering what they can do, particularly companies that are in retail or CPG, whose consumers are asking them, encouraging them to do more. Look, it's uh, there are lots of things that they can do. One, of course, is to donate money. Two is, of course, to donate supplies. Three is do business with companies like Everest that are providing jobs uh, for hardworking, talented people in Ukraine who deserve those jobs, didn't deserve to have this war launched on yeah. them. And, you know, keeping these people employed uh, is certainly something that is, is an opportunity to both do good and do well, right? So the, totally. those retail and CPG companies, by doing business with Everest, uh, they're not just doing business with a great company, but they're also helping to support jobs for Ukrainian people that I, I think absolutely not only need and deserve those jobs, but also are doing a fantastic job to uh, to serve their customers. So I would, would certainly encourage those retail CPG and other companies that, you know, listen to or, uh, you know, watch or, or read uh, what you're doing. Certainly having the opportunity to do more business with Everest is a great opportunity to both do good and do well. And then the second thing that I would say is, as it relates to the Ukraine Logistics Coalition, we're going to be raising um, money as we get our 501c3 status confirmed. We're going to be looking to do more business with more transportation companies that can bring goods in. And we're going to be looking for more food, medical, and other suppliers to be able to bring resources in to donate in order to help. Uh, and would certainly look to uh, your readers and viewers to uh, to to be a part because uh, unfortunately the needs are great and they're not going away. But there's an opportunity for all of us to do more. Yeah, I love how you uh, put that. If you work with a company that outsources employees to Ukraine, you're essentially it's better than donating almost because well, donation is very important, but providing the sense of being the the, the employment, the security, the the salary to, to an individual that totally deserves that. And that's that's very important, especially in these tiring times. It's uh, very very much needed. Then um, I I really appreciate uh, this uh, this interview. If there's anything that you'd like want me to cut out or uh, anything for that matter, you can let me know because um, I will write an article and I also will release the audio version. Uh, but if there's anything that you want taken out, uh, you could just let me know uh, if any of those questions. Uh, well, if I said anything stupid, feel free to take that out. No, no, everything. Uh, otherwise, uh, no. I thank you, and I, I appreciate it. And and uh, you know, look when when you when you write it and, and uh, publish it. I mean, I know freight waves can tag things in, in different ways. If you 
you know, tag the different entities and, you know, Everest and Ukraine Logistics Coalition and Cambridge and, you know, and me and all that. It'll make it easier to help get more visibility for it. And then I'll also me forward it and, and uh, uh, share it and, and do the same. But uh, look, I, I appreciate what you're doing. And I, I think the only other thing that I would add is uh, to the extent that you can help um, with building the network of you know, list of carriers in Poland and Ukraine that can do the last mile work for, you know, for delivery. Uh, totally. Great. Something else that I'll add, there's a group in Ukraine called Leaky24, which is a leader in pharmaceutical distribution, L-I-K-I-2-4. And uh, if we get more pharmaceutical goods in, as well as trucks that can come across the border and we can feed them into their network, they're doing drug delivery, both to pharmacies as well as direct to consumer. Uh, and so that's the, that, that would also be a, a valuable thing to look for.